Hi everybody, in today's episode we talk gambling addiction, chefing, police raids, family tragedy and of course bees. Our guest today is one of the foremost leading experts of bees in Australia. He also travels the world discussing bees when there's not a global pandemic on. That's a mouthful. He's an absolutely remarkable person. I know him because I've got backyard bees and he's my go-to expert, but I never knew any of this crazy life story he had before he got into bees. You can follow him on Instagram at bensbeesau. Please welcome Ben Moore. Welcome to One Moment Please, the podcast where our guests take a moment to tell their stories of how they've overcome adversity to achieve success. And you take a moment to tune in, so bring on the inspiration. Hey. Hey. How's how's the audio? Is that audio okay? Yeah. Can you hear me okay? Oh, loud and clear. That's awesome. That's very cool. Awesome. Cool. Hang on. Putting my phone on flight mode. Yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. Yeah, because yours is busy. Busy phone. Whenever you're um around, oh. your phone's going ballistic, and it's oh, bee it's... season. Bees are ben keep, a beekeeper, everybody. Oh, are we actually recording. Is this? Yeah. Oh, this yeah. is it. Okay, all right, all right, we're in. <laughs> we're, we're jumping in. Awesome. It's jumping in. Yeah, this is it. This is it. This is I awesome. Hit the, I hit the big red button that says record. Awesome. That big red button. Sneaky record. Yeah. I like that. Here we go. Recording at the start. Sneaky recording. Okay, I was sort of okay. All right, I was going to put my uh, my photogenic voice on. So. <laughs> Oh, okay. Go. Ready, set, go now. Okay. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so beekeeping and you're busy. It's bee season at the moment. Yes. Yeah. No, it certainly is. It's, um, it's, it's, there's good things and bad things when it comes to sort of bees. So it's obviously yeah, now it's about to seriously go crazy. Right. Mm. And then when I go from crazy, I'm talking, you know, getting over winter. No one wants to talk to me through to come springtime. And without a word of a lie, I can receive over 100 phone calls per day. That's that's bee related. Is it just swarms that you're receiving phone calls for? No, no. So it's, it goes from everything from, say, swarms to, um, you know, people with bee issues be problems be questions you know it could be about honey it could be listen my auntie's um got going through chemotherapy i wanted to try this thing called royal jelly how do i do that i've got a sore throat does propolis work you know it could be anything be related you know i'm making mead do you sell honey in bulk because i want to make some plonk so it can really um be yeah, a lot of licorice all sorts and as far as all the questions. So, but because it's swarming, you know, it obviously bees can be an issue. So they can actually mm. cause problems or, um, you know, people want to get into bees because they see the sun shining, they see the um, the birds are singing and um, they uh, want to get into bees. Bees are the best. I'm a bee. Someone asked me the day if I'm a beekeeper and I was like, am I a beekeeper? I'd say that I'm a bee host. <laughs> They're hanging out in my back garden. <laughs> A bee host. I like that. They got their hotel, which is their hive. <laughs> I love it. I'm not keeping them. They're free to come and go. Uh, I love it. Plus, I don't know enough about them. I'm still such a novice. So, you know, anyway. So, bees, Ben is my bee um, mentor. So, that's how I know Ben. Um, so, he is teaching me all things related to bees. And he is... I don't know, probably one of the most um, knowledgeable bee people in 
Australia, really, when it comes to bees. How long have you been keeping them for? Oh, no, keeping bees. So, uh, well, that's a question I get asked is, you know, uh, how how do I get into bees? And mm. it's actually interesting. How do I get into bees was the true story. So when I was about 10, I, I was about 9, 10 years of age, I had this book, Beekeeper in the UK. I'll never forget it. I don't know where this book's gone, but it was one of those ones, you know, you go to the library and you borrow a book and you never give it back. <laughs> it's one of those ones. It's got that no, little... man, I don't know that. <laughs> so we've all done it. But and it's... all of the younger generations like, what's a book? Oh, yeah, what's a library? <laughs> what's a library? What's a library? We're just going to the internet. <laughs> don't you just have audio books? What's this thing called words? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly. Read. And so that's funny. <clears throat> so it's kind of interesting that I had this book and I was like fascinated by him. And, you know, I, I'm an only child and you know, I used to have to create my entertainment and I was never influenced by beekeepers. So I was always found it fascinating. So by the time I used to start work at a young age, so I, I liked work and I liked making money because I liked spending money. So by the time I got to 14, um, I said to mum and dad, you know, I don't want a puppy or a kitten as a pet, I want a beehive. And they said, yeah, no worries. So I lived, lived on 20 acres, my parents at the time, in um, Seville East, which is at the Yarra Valley of... Mm-hmm. Uh, Beautiful area. Yes, yeah, really nice, really nice there. And um, had these, uh, got these bees. There's an old beekeeper. His name was Mr. Cox. And Mr. Cox um, delivered these bees for me. And, um, yeah, it was, it was interesting because the old man used to buy honey off him. And I don't know where they used to do it deliberately, but there's, you know, there's childhood memories that he actually, there's always dead bees in a jar. Now, if you, if you sold honey at this day and age and there was a dead bee in a jar, people would just, would, just wouldn't, couldn't cope flip. with it. Yeah, yeah. Flip. That's, that's right. They absolutely couldn't cope with it. So, um, so yeah, so whether you put it deliberately to sort of give that sort of authenticity as far as his honey, I'm not sure, but uh yeah so um the old man sort of helped me and um 60 i saved up was my own money i used to do fruit picking and in sylvan and and out through that way and um saved up 60 dollars got this hive delivered and um and that was sort of the start of my beekeeping journey and i was only a couple of years two three years ago my folks had a, a video recorder um and there's some footage of me actually is this little this little chubby kid uh with my bees and um, yeah, so that's where it all started. You should post it to Instagram. I should, yeah. I think I have actually. I think I have. I've done. I've done it once or twice, and I need to yeah, do it again because it's really cool. Because you just, it, it's actually interesting because it sort of, uh, yeah, conjured up all those sort of you know childhood memories. Yeah, mm. I mean, you sort of some people got you could be trauma as one thing, but all the the positives is another. And 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 that's one thing I always, if if I'm somewhere, sometimes with certain hives, I get a smell of a hive and it just it puts me back when I was young and it's like that smell of not smell of honey but that smell of of the the, the colony and the wax and you know it's really interesting mm. Mm. so you've been doing it since you've been 10 yeah so I've been keeping bees so actually kept my bees since 14 so um, it's been a, been a business for me since 2006 so 14 years um, but in saying that, you know, the bees don't work for me, I work for them. Because mm, you've it's got hives I, all over the state though, don't you? Yes, yeah. I've got hives everywhere. I'm, I'm just – sometimes I think I'm just a, a truck driver almost. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, There's it's not, nothing short to do, you know, um, you know 1,000 kilometres in a couple of days, easy. So 
Uh, but I love it, and that's why I love listening to podcasts and and things and and you know, audio books and while I'm driving and and talking to mates and friends and family. Mm. When you're not receiving your hundreds of phone calls a day dealing with being <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. Well, I try and I'm sort of I can work with the weather. You know what I mean? So so you know, bomb bureau of meteorology is my friend, yeah. and I. Like I, I study that, watch that, you know, for the short term and for the long term too, you know, um, to see, you know, and I can plan my days. What's, you know, if it's going to be rainy, what do I do when it's rainy? It's going to be sunny for the next five days. Well, I can anticipate, I know what's going to happen. What's this 3am start though? Because we're sitting here at, at eight o'clock this morning and I've got a very large coffee in my hand, but you were like, you were saying that you get up at three. What's that all yeah. about? Is that for to travel? Because you've yes. got such long. Uh... Yeah, so it's traveling. So, so when you when you're transporting bees. So um, now I'm not. It's not something very. It's an interesting question. I've been sort of, uh, as far as I'm not proud of moving bees sometimes, because you know it's a little bit of stress to them. But but the reason why I move bees is for pollination. So I pollinate a lot of orchards, and these orchards can be. Uh, Swan Hill can be on the border of New South Wales and Robinvale. And, you know, we need bees for our food because one every three mouthfuls of food that we eat has been pollinated by a bee. So, so that's why I travel. And you've got to travel at nighttime because particularly during the daytime, uh, middle of the day, the bees want to work, they want to forage, they want to do what bees do. And so that's where, um, that's where you know, doing it. So 3 o'clock, if I've got a you know, four or five hour drive, you know, leaving at three or four in the morning will get me there early in the morning to, um, yeah, want me to do my thing. And the bees are still asleep, so they wake up and they're like, hang on a minute. <laughs> That's right. Where are we? That's right. Where are we? <laughs> Ex- exactly. Where are we? Where? And what they do is it's actually interesting because they people go, well, what happens if they get lost? Now, well, they actually reset their GPS. Yeah. So, so they re-coordinate and go, okay, this is our hive because each hive's got its own kind of like pheromone signature and they um yeah re- remap themselves and away they go is it um what's the rule of thumb you can move them one meter or one kilometer yeah that's right so yeah so yeah, yeah less than a meter or more than a kilometer just so they yeah, um, yeah they get so lost. they don't get lost that gps remapping system otherwise they're like hang on a minute my hives my hive's not where it used to be where's my home yes <laughs> but you weren't you didn't always be into bees like you did other stuff before you got into bees didn't you if you yeah. started this at 20 yeah so it's um so i started uh, i was a chef chef by trade and it was actually interesting i as, as a as i went to school uh, i was a i was a naughty kid a naughty now when i say naughty I, I wasn't like you know i didn't do graffiti i didn't steal stuff but a naughty you know i'd sort of more cheeky would probably be the word and you know i'd, I'd do cheeky little things and you know hide the cord for the projector so the teacher couldn't do his work, you know, and show us uh, things. Yeah. Mischievous. Yeah, yeah, mischievous. Yeah, exactly. So um, so I guess you know, going back to the start, so I sort of, I was actually academically, I don't know, I reckon, uh, I reckon I still got it now, like some form of dyslexia or learning disability type thing um, because I was numbers. I look at numbers and they, they look like a jigsaw puzzle and I've got to, I've got to break them down, the numbers. Um mm. Yeah, um, particularly like paying tax for the ATO. <laughs> they've got, I think they've got about twelve digits. I've actually got to do them in in groups of two or three, and then I know I've got to, it. Actually, takes me a while to do it. Um, just to sort of numbers is a, a bad one. Reading seems to be okay, but anyway, when I was young, academically I wasn't good 
at school mm. and I was naughty and the teachers, like this is going back in the year, I'm 42 now, 43 in February, but it was, I went to schools where the teachers used to hit you. You know, so I was probably corporal at that end. punishment. Of, yeah, well, I was corporal punishment. It was a bit, it was almost on the verge of abuse because, you know, um, I went to Yelling Bay Primary School, which has since been shut down. So that's been mm-hmm. shut down for almost a decade now. And um, the principal, I don't know, had it in for me. You know, and it's probably just that conflict. And, you know, I, I was naughty. You know, I remember mm. doing, doing naughty things. But, you know, oh, I'll never forget. There's just one of many, many different things. I was I was outside. I burped. I never forget. It was this big burp, like it. So I never forget. This is out. This was during lunchtime. And as a kid, you probably went, "Oh, that's awesome." I know. That's right. Went, and all the They're other laughing. kids went, "Oh, that's amazing." That's a laugh. Yeah, one of those burps are just like it yeah. always the, gr- the ground shook. You know. And <laughs> I remember and, the boys loving doing that. Yeah, they do. Boys, yeah. that's just what we we love burping and farting. That's our thing. <laughs> and I never forget. You know, this this principal. He, he grabbed me. Right? He dragged me behind a tree and, and, and hit me a few times. As right? in close fist hit. No, no, slapped, like slapped. <gasps> but, but like sort of, and, and as a kid, you know, when you get sort of hit by an adult, your reaction is to cry. So I remember crying. And, and, and that was just one of many, many different things. And I don't know, like, I don't know why I did it because it's obviously, it was during lunchtime and I burped. I think it got the attention of all the other the students. And we're talking a small school. You know, we're talking only, at the time, I think it was 38, 39 students in school. Um, and I never forget, you know, he, he hit me. It's just one of those things. Now, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, it's sort of, I think going forward, it sort of made me respect doing, you know, make sure I do the right or wrong thing. Is this going to get me in trouble? I was, you know, if I do something when I was in my teens uh, later on, will this, if I do something, I was more aware of that. Will it get me in trouble? Well, if it will get me in trouble, I'm aware of the consequences. So it was, it was an interesting uh, time. And I was, yeah. So, and then this teacher was actually, it was, it was pretty bad. Like we're talking, yeah, really, really bad. Over the top. Oh, yeah. There's this one kid who had cerebral palsy. And, oh, um, yeah, Brendan, his name was, and um, I used to call him Snowy. And he's my little mate. And anyway, he's, this teacher was a serious prick. Like he'd, with cerebral palsy, put him at the back of the class so he wouldn't distract the other students and, like, just wouldn't engage, wouldn't teach him. Oh, it was pretty nasty stuff. And, and, and I just remember as a, a young kid, I would do things, you know, you know, it's sort of, I don't know, I would do things to actually – create attention on me because I take mm. the focus on him off snowy this yeah because he had the most the most beautiful hair I remember forget this is blonde almost as a snow white blonde hair so I used to call him snowy um but yeah so I'd be a, like a bit of a bit of a prick in class because I take the focus off his kid and it was kind of my my form of justice yeah. is the focus off from the other kids or the focus from the teacher focusing no. on the fact yeah, but probably more focusing, I would do things so that, you know, this teacher wouldn't pick on this this um, uh, Brendan with the cerebral palsy because he'd, right. he'd sort of pick on him. Like, And it was pretty like, – it was brutal stuff, brutal. You know, I mean, we're talking really just, you know, really – yeah, it was, like, shocking. You know, if this day and age, it'd, it'd probably be, you know, could be even just that kind of abuse – uh, and we're not talking, no, no, nothing sort of like sexual abuse or anything like that, but the, the abuse of his power and what he did, mm. you know, it, w- it wouldn't surprise me 
um, if he did jail term. And and some I'll never forget. This is quite some time ago. Somehow I was talking to a um, this subject came up, a solicitor, and he said, well, "Let's let's take him to court. Let's get him." And I was like, "No, no, it's not. I don't want to do any of that because that's you know reliving." You know, childhood and going for all the, the trauma, the, court, the trauma of the courts and stuff. I don't, I don't, I don't want to do that. Like it's not, you know, it's not right. You know what I mean? I, and he said, well, you know, it's, this is what's happened. How do you know these other students haven't affected them, gone down the lives of drugs or crime because of this? And it's, yeah, it made sense, but it's, yeah, I sort of know. I think it's, you know, for me, it sort of straightened me out a little bit. And as far as, um. I don't know the justice of protecting others. Yeah, mm. protecting others the best the best you can. I think uh, if someone's in need, you know, what I mean, sort of jumping in and helping them. I think that's what I sort of learnt from from that at a very young age. But um, but shortly after, I think that the my folks pulled me out of that school because it was really bad. As I said, it was they pulled me out. They they, they couldn't get rid of this teacher, this principal. They couldn't get rid of. Well, him. they couldn't. So the. So the parents at the school knew what was going on and they oh, couldn't get rid of him. We're talking, we're talking, oh, there was meetings and everything to try and get rid of this this um, this teacher um, who happened to be the principal. And so it's kind of really full on, like it was trying to get rid of him. And, um, yeah, it was pretty – there was a time after time, you know, and, 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 you know, parents were pulling their kids out, taking them other schools and – and 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 this school just like kind of like withered away, and and um, yeah, yeah, it was really oh, and I just I remember I had a friend, I mean little mate, and oh, this is and this is interesting actually, the little mate Robert Bailey, and um, he's a little ginger head kid, and me and him we're, we're mischievous and we'd we'd knock around together, but anyway, we're, we're never allowed to play together. Me and him were best mates. We were. Why were, we were you allowed to, to play together? Oh, because we're, we're forced to to always be apart, and um, because this is a part of the abuse. So it went on for, Psycholog- so psychologically, yeah. is oh, yeah, God. yeah, exactly. So we're never play. So you know, and then it 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 really it just one of many things. He would, some of the um the other students who were sort of the goody goody two shoes, he'd use them as like little. Like kind of like a snitch, and sort of look after them and say, "Well, if you see Ben and and Robert playing together, um, if you see them playing together, let me know." So, and then all of a sudden, you know, you'd be in the room writing, "Must not play with um, my friend because I've told not to," you know, a thousand times on, or not hundreds of times on a piece of paper. And and actually, funny, I learned to use three pens at one time to write. <laughs> Because I actually could duplicate it. Three I think pens. we all did that, yeah. We and the did, trick yeah. was that you needed to remember that you needed to have three of the same colour yes. in there. That's right. <laughs> the same colour. That's right. You used to say, oh, you three, three. Um, but the problem was that you'd have three that were easy, evenly spaced and then you'd have like a weird spacing and then three that was – so it would be really obvious when you looked at the line spacings of your – because you wouldn't use a lined paper because then that would be too obvious. Um that you'd done it with multiple pens. Yes, that's right. That's right. You'd do that. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's a real art. Like these are the sorts of things that ch- children these days would never experience because you just don't. I don't know. I don't have kids. Do they still give lines out to No, kids? I don't know. They don't. They don't. No. Oh, no. God. No, my kids, if they get in trouble, they don't. No, that used to be. Yeah. That's interesting, <laughs> but yes, that's funny. Yeah. That's, uh, uh, but it's interesting that, and and the effects on people you know, i.e. this particular teacher, what has I relatively recently learnt that 
my little mate back then, Robert, actually become uh, a recluse alcoholic. And and oh, whether that's really sad. Yeah, whether whether it's uh, I haven't seen him for you know it'd be almost thirty years, but and I, I found out because just a subject came up. Um, about it with uh, one of the um, orchards when I was working out there with um, one of the foremans. Um, and he knew him? And knew him, yes. And I, it come up and I said, talk about the school. And he goes, oh, yeah, I used to go to do another school that was close by. And I said, oh, I used to be a little mate. He goes, yeah. And he told me the story. And it was just a um, uh, just sad. And I, you just sort of wonder where, you know, as I said, the effects on people, they don't realise what they're doing and whether, you know, whether it was the sole cause of this sort of psychological abuse or as part of the cause, but yeah, you know, to actually become, um, yeah, a recluse and an alcoholic because of this is, yeah, it's crazy, but it's, um, um, yeah. So, yeah, so my parents pulled me out and went to a, um, a, a private school, uh, at Mombol. Um, so how old were you when you got pulled out? Oh, I would have been, I reckon about, what have been about 12, 11 or 12. Okay. I reckon, yeah, 11 or 12. Um, and there was a private school and um, a, a religious school. I was not um, – I'm not religious, but neither my parents, but religious school. Um, and they – yeah, this, this school is a good school. That was a really – um, um, it was actually in uh, Mombolk. And they used to, used to then – it was right next to the – what was called the Mombolk Animal Kingdom. And this Mumbai Animal Kingdom, every every day you'd hear the lions roar. He had lions. Um, Get out. Yeah, fair income. Yeah, had uh, had lions. So you hear the lions roar, and they used to sort of say, "Cause it's a Christian school, you know, if you, the kids were naughty, they'd feed them the lions." But yeah, it was. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, it was uh, the owner. I think he's still around. It's the eighties for you, isn't it? Oh, the eighties. That's right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's a, that's a good way of putting it. The Kids 80s. don't know how easy they got it these days. Exactly. Yeah, the lions hearing these lions roar, and yeah, his name was a Fritz. He was on the, was on the TV channels. Um, what the lion's name was Fritz, or the owner's no, name? No, was the no, nah, the owner was Fritz. And uh, yeah, he's Fritz. I think he's still around. He must be mid seventies now. Um, maybe like, maybe a little bit older. But yeah, I wonder so. if he. I wonder if he ever knew that the school was threatening to feed him to the lions, <laughs> feed the kids yeah, to the lions. That's right, exactly. Yeah, it was kind of yeah, it was really funny. It was, uh, uh, but that was a good school. But they still hit me. Oh yeah, I remember. You go to school camp, and I remember you know trying to sneak off and and um, you know go create some mischief and stuff. And I'll never forget. We could hear the teacher, Mister um, Schmidt, and he was snoring. Oh, he, he set us up a beauty. So me and me mates, we had it planned. We're going to wait till uh, eleven o'clock, right? and he was snoring. Right, but he knew what was up. He's, he knew. And uh, it's, where were we? I think Malakuta. Yeah, it was Malakuta school camp, and there were the cabins down there. And and it was my I was always sort of planning stuff, and and me and my little mates were going to go, you know, just go <laughs> go 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 check everything out, and and uh, as you do, that's what school camp is, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Get out of your tents, go hang out with your mates. That's right, exactly. Yeah, and uh, he was snoring, so we thought, all right, job's on. We're we're out of here. And uh, we sneaking out, and he, he was putting it on. He knew I was up, and I never forget. He grabbed me, he grabbed me, and this is, uh, and he slapped me to my face. Right? <gasps> uh, yeah, slapped me uh, on the face, slapped uh, like an open hand, and I was so much in shock that yeah, you know, I couldn't cry. 
I, I, I remember. Stunned. I was stunned. stunned. I was stunned. So just was in the bed and it was like, you know, what the hell just happened? So he, he he grabbed you and you were up and threw you down the bed? No, no, just as I – he jumped out of his bed and just grabbed me and slapped me in the face. So he was sleeping in the same cabin as you? In the cabin, yeah, cabin, the log cabin. So, you know, because oh, there was four, four – there was five of us. Um, and there was five of us and it was quite like the naughty boys. You know, the, the, if, if someone's going to cause them trouble, it would be this particular room. And, um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, never forget. Yeah, and he's like, I remember being shocked. It was like, yeah. Yeah, it was actually another funny, I think it was the same the same school camp. Yeah, it was the, so that's Mr. Schmidt. He's a good teacher, actually. Um, the <laughs> Good teacher, but he slapped you across the face. Oh, you know, it's a good, no, he was like, he was, it, it give you the time of day. Like he's yeah. sort of, yeah, he wouldn't just, he, he was, yeah, he was, he was good. He was a good teacher. I remember him. He was good. Um, but as the other principal, um, Mr. Pike, and I'll never forget, there was, yeah, it was Malakuta. It was, um, never forget, I, I thought, all right, I remember finding some crabs because I was always eating the bugs and stuff and catching lizards and snakes and all sorts of things. And uh, I found some live crabs and I, I put them in the principal's um, sleeping bag. I thought this is gold. I thought this is gold. This is awesome. This is gold. But then ben. I, I know, I know. But then my con. This is this is the piece of story because the, my conscience actually got the better of me. I thought, no, nah, I can't do that because you know it's the wrong thing to do. So I was taking them out, and I got bloody busted taking them out. Oh no! Meanwhile, he's got sand and. I oh, know that's right. So you got caught, Double and then I was, oh, I got so much trouble. You know what I mean? It's, but you no, know, I got caught taking them out. Caught taking these. And he's um, not going to believe you. No sales taking them out. Yeah, that's right. Taking them out. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, so that was, uh, yeah, it was a good school, but it was kind of I didn't like learning. Didn't want to. Uh, school was everything's just was the learning stuff was all mumbo jumbo, but. It's actually interesting. I remember um, home home economics, and we used mm-hmm. to do the, cook, the cooking class. And I was yeah. I was the bloody guru at cooking. I, I loved it, and I'll never, never, ever forget. So I was um, uh, fourteen, going on fifteen, and we had to make a Christmas cake. And I made this Christmas cake, and I just love food because when I was young, I always um, loved getting the food and so forth, and. Um, yeah, I uh, made this Christmas and it was it was mint. It was like I got the best marks because you know all my report cards were like really bad every 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 term, you know. And I've, I look at them today and I just read these report cards. And, you still have them? Oh yeah, I still got them. My parents got them, and I, I was looking at them. I got copies, and, and and you just and I read them, you know. Uh, ben needs to apply himself. Ben is the class clown. <laughs> yeah, all this usual. And I, yeah, so it's kind of. I always, like, I always yeah. got. Um, what you get? Uh, easily, easily distracted. Easily distracted. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's not funny. Easily distracted. That's funny. But I used to annoy the teachers because they'd be like, Fiona, what did I just say? And I'd be able to tell, even though I was talking, I'd be able to tell them what they'd said, and that used to really irritate them. They'd be like, just stop talking then. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> You can multitask. I can multitask. But, you know, now I've got a podcast, so jokes on them. Yeah, jokes on them. Exactly. That's funny. (laughs) How funny is that? Um, Yeah, so it's – so this cake, 
oh, I'll never forget this cake. And I, I was so proud. I, I killed it. I was the best cake in the class. And it was kind of then as when the penny dropped. It was like, you know, I love cooking. I love food. You know, I was a chubby little kid and I just love food and I still love food. And I just was like, you know what, this is, this is me. And um, I was about the same age. Uh, no, I was about, no, I was about 12. So I think all part, um, so my parents, I'm like a bit of a test tube baby. Um, I, when I was born, my mum my had to go through this fertility type thing. Um, I forgot yep. the name of it, to be honest, but it IVF. was like, no, it wasn't IVF. No, it was a trial. It was a trial thing. So I'm, I'm one of um, a thousand born in Australia and I think 2000 worldwide. It was basically, I don't know the name of it, to be honest. It's got this long winded name, but basically what they'd do is they'd, they'd suck out the, the, some hormone out of the pituitary gland of dead people. And, oh. and it, yeah, and inject it and into my mum. I think it was like a daily injection. But this, this was part of that whole, I think, 20, 30 years ago. A lot of people, like the mother started dying from Jacob Crutchfeldt's disease. Um, so, I don't yeah, know what that is. That's yeah, a well, Google after the conversation, that's one be. Yeah, this particular disease. And um, so, yeah, so it was kind of, uh, I think mum took 11 years to have me, um, mum and dad. Um, uh, so yeah, so part of this this program type thing, uh, I've got a well, I donate blood, and it's I've got to mention this in, when I donate blood. It's a very unique thing. Anyway, we can see I was in sixty minutes, and I, I think some they started. It's like mad, mad cow's disease, very related um, okay. to, to this particular Jacob Crutchfield's disease. Um, so yeah, so and then I must be about twelve, uh, and Mama got pregnant, and it was the one thing in life. I always, always wanted was a brother, always wanted. And, um, and uh, yeah, it's sort of, um, I don't know, I just, whenever I think about it, it just gives sort of tears to my eyes. But my mum was about seven, seven, coming up to seven months pregnant and she goes, something's wrong um, to dad. And she goes into hospital and then the baby had died while she's you know, through gestation at seven months mm-hmm. and, and yeah. And mum had to give birth to a dead baby and, and, you know, like a, and yeah, Daniel, his name would have been. Um, so, yeah. So, but for me, it was always, I don't know. It was no one ever asked me, my parents, love, my parents are great, you know, but ask me, how are you doing? And I, and it's just little things of, um, with the birth of my three children, um, Lachlan, Byron and Summer, with their mum when they were pregnant, I struggled to actually feel them kicking from the inside because I've, I've got this sort of caught trauma, this childhood thing of, of when my mum was pregnant going, come and come and feel Daniel and this, this touch. And it just like it really, cause it's the one thing just always wanted. I'd, I'd go without me feet, me legs, me arms just to have my brother because it's just that, that the loneliness of, of living in a rural sort of area and so forth. I just wanted, yeah, just wanted a brother. So, but yeah, they, I'd cry every night. You know, no one knew I cried. I kept that quiet. My parents never knew. Um, and that went on for years, years and years. It was just like that, almost like a solitude. So, um, but I think that was, um, yeah, that was tough as a, as a child. And no one ever asked, you know, you're right. You know what I mean? And my parents started fighting afterwards, you know, because they struggled and, Mum, um, what's what's going on there? But I was, yeah, they had big fights and and so forth. Been married forever. 
oh, shit, did I come up for 50 years marriage? I think so. So they got they got through it, but it was sort of yeah, it was um, trauma. I think, yeah, trauma. It was it was a hard yeah, and and people go through stuff and and so forth. But I think for me. It sort of, it made me grow up quick, and I, I really I grew up too quick, really did, because I left home when I was sixteen because um, I become a chef, so I failed school, and and that was even the thing with failing school, like they, they in this um this private school that was everything was kept hush hush because even never forget even it was sort of didn't want to embarrass Ben, so you know you know when everyone in year ten because the school only went to year ten. Uh, and then they went to another school. It was like a sister school to, to do 11 and 12 HSC. But um, I was the only one to fail. And this was talking years and years and years. Like I think seven years or something was the only kid to fail. And I'll never forget, they, every, every student goes up and gets a, 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 like a certificate and you know, shake the principal's hands and the teacher's hands and say thank you. And, and my piece of paper was a blank piece of paper. <laughs> it was blank. And uh, to go up there and shake their hands, like, you know, thank you. For, you know, and it was just, it was all kept really hush. And it was like, yeah, I just didn't want to be at school. But because I started working and doing fruit picking, the one thing I knew I could control is, is work. And, and work equaled money. And it really created money. And, and um, I could, yeah, learn to, learn to make money. So I was lucky I did um, 14, uh, going on 15, 15 year 10. Uh, did uh, work experience um, with a, a family friend, uh, Jean-Michel, it was Belgium, and uh, he was the, the executive chef of the Victorian Club, the Rialto in the city. And I was 15 and I'd, uh, I'd stayed with him because of, we'd start, we'd leave uh, at 8 o'clock in the morning or 7.38, get into the city, uh, which would take from Hillsville, because he was living in Hillsville, so taking about an hour and 15 minutes. Um, and we get to work about nine o'clock, and I was this work experience kid. And did, so, did you know him? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. My parents knew him. Um, Just so gonna say well. it's weird, otherwise that you'd be staying with him. Yeah, no, they knew him. Yeah, no, no, it was new family friend. He used to he used to breed a lot of exotic animals. Like my parents always breeding, you know, wallabies and kangaroos and antelope and birds, exotic birds. Antelope was a random one. I should throw in there. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, um, so yeah, so he sort of knew knew him quite well, and and um, so I was just yeah, just turned fifteen, and um, and went in there and would start at nine, would work through till uh, three o'clock, and it'd be a two hour break from three till five, and start at five and finish at ten, and so by the time we got home, it was about eleven eleven thirty, and you know as a I never forget that pain of standing up and working yeah. doing a new job that you're just achy, but I loved it. I I loved the 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 build up to it, you know, of the of the preparation for the food and then the service. It, the shit would just go. It'd be this craziness, and as this kid, I was like, I loved it. I loved this craziness of service. It's interesting though that you loved it so much with your difficulty with numbers. I would because it's so phonetic in a kitchen, I would have thought that retaining the orders and then retaining, okay, I need three of this and five of this, that would have been Yes, yeah. Well, it's sort of, it built up, it's um, particularly recipes. I struggled mm. with, with recipes to go, you know, if you have to make one thing and it's got, say, 250 grams of flour, 
um, you know, et cetera, four eggs, blah, 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 blah. But if you have to make that four times, I'd, I'd, I'd struggle to actually, mm. um, yeah, I'd, I'd have to really triple check it. And I remember buggering it up, you know what I mean? Something didn't work and the waste of money and ingredients. But I'd, I'd learned to really just take my time. And sometimes I'd, I'd work there if I doubled it. So if there was four eggs, I'd turn it to eight. And then I'd go from eight. If I had to times the recipe by four, mm. I, I wouldn't go from four to 16. I'd go four to eight and then eight times two is 16. So I'd break it down like that. Um um so yeah so this this rialto and i oh it's crazy i loved it and the break and i was used to knock around with this um this chef this chinese chef and he he, he um would go to the tab and so i'd go with him you know what i mean and and I'd, I'd ask him what are you doing and and he'd be smoking his cigarettes and and um yeah i just love this life of um of this chef's life anyway this um this, i knew this is what i want to do I'm going to be a chef and I failed school and the, the week I was still 15 in the, in January, uh, it was a couple of weeks before my 16th birthday. Um, John, Jean-Michel got a new job, but actually the other direction, the Black Spur Inn, Nabathong. And he was the chef of the hotel there. And he said, Ben, you want to be the apprentice? And I was like, yeah, I'm there, bang, you know, and I, I worked and it was, um, yeah, worked heaps. And I used to stay with him sometimes uh, or I was actually also staying at the um, the hotel, the Black Spear Inn. And so that was 16. So and then I'd come home on weekends and um, I would make recipes and I was buying, I never forget, I was, this money, I was earning $163 a week as a first-year apprentice. And I was buying, I'd buy like guinea fowl and pheasants and be cooking these, you know, these recipes up and buggering things up and making these awesome things. And yeah, so I, um, I absolutely love that. It was really cool. Do you still cook now? No, I don't. I'm not into cooking like I am. Nah, cooking, I enjoy cooking for people, but for myself, you know, is I don't like cooking cooking for myself. Yeah. It's not something that I, I, um, I sort of really get into for me. Like it's, you know, I love the food. I love eating uh, different restaurants and eating out and so forth. Who doesn't oh. love eating, Ben? Come on. Oh, no, I know. <laughs> That's right. Love it. I yeah, love it. Exactly. Particularly so ingredients these days. You know what I mean? There's such a regard to different cultures and things. If people say I'm not a foodie, I'm just like, okay, I can't trust you. No, that's right. <laughs> Exactly. What's wrong with you? That's funny. I agree. Exactly. That's funny. That's funny. Um, yeah. So um, yeah, just love that food. So I was working there, and you know, once again, you know, the, the owner, um, what was his name? Sam, at the time, because we're going back over over two decades ago. He, um, I made this. I never forget. I made this uh, lemon meringue pie. First time I've ever made it. And I completely balls it up. Completely. It was just one. I think yeah. it was gonna go in the cake cabinet and I stuffed it up and it was I remember the the actual the curd, that, that lemon curd you make in the mm-hmm. it sits in the pastry, it leaked and it's it kind of split. Um and oh, I'll never forget, he really this he gave me a hard time and I, I got really sat down and spoken to that I wasted, you know. Uh, eight dollars worth five dollars worth of ingredients at the time because you and, did it on purpose well that's yeah that's right exactly yeah because you know purpose and really and, and it was really yeah i'll never forget and it's sort of trying not to make mistakes so 
Um, so I really sort of pushed forward that. And it really hurt me as a kid. You know, really that was um, being 16 and trying to do your best and then you just get slapped slapped in the face, so to speak, because you'd made a mistake. Uh, never forget that lemmering pie. So whenever I see a lemmering pie, it brings me back to that. But yeah, so then um, uh, that was hard work. Yeah, work 60 hours a week and I just loved it. And it's actually it's just a true story. This is unbelievable. But John Michelle had a fight, uh, John with the uh, with the owner because the owner was a was a bit of a prick. And um, and I, I went for a, oh, it must have been a month. I was because I loved work. I could work's my thing. You know, I could work twenty hours a day. Um, which I'll come to another story in a second. What I, I used to have two full time jobs at the same at the same time. Um, but I. Um, I just loved work and I was actually running this hotel <laughs> as a 16 year old kid. I could actually run it and this went on for one or two months. And then, then this was kind of like a means to an end because John was looking for another, uh, cause I was going to follow him because he's a really good, you know, really good chef. And he was that old school chef, mm. you know, come over from Belgium, uh, in the, in the sixties and worked at Francois and the, in town in South Yarra and yeah, institution yeah, Francois. That's that's the one, yeah. So he was yeah the chef there and really he was good. He was good to me. Um, so um, yeah, so I was running this this hotel and um, yeah. Anyway, the, the the owner got pissed off that I was leaving and he wouldn't sign my papers because you have to. I was I was a second year apprentice at this time to go and he wouldn't sign them because he's just a prick because I was leaving because I was a good worker I I was always early I was always there late you know what I mean so anyway so um, moved to the Hillsville Hotel uh, which was three Hillsville Hotel there was three hotels in Hillsville at the time um, mm-hmm. um, and the Hillsville the Grand Hotel and yeah and that's where I sort of. Uh, 16, I ended up um, getting a room upstairs. They had spare rooms and I ended up sort of living there, 16. And, um, yeah, it was kind of – it was it was interesting because interesting times because 16, I sort of – once again, I grew up too fast because I'm a, on days off or breaks, I'd often – so I'd go see my parents on days off sometimes, but I don't forget I was allowed to have – at 16, I was allowed to have one beer. I was allowed to have a um, – uh, uh, one one beer at the bar with the with the boys, all the old lads, and but that was I, that was on the quiet though, because that's not legal drinking age in Australia. No, no, that's right. Yeah, yeah no, it was on. The, well, it wasn't even on. It was on the quiet, but it was it was just that era of, yeah, I was big. You know, what I mean, I'm I'm six foot three, so I was always tall and so forth. And um, yeah, and I um, yeah, it was I was allowed to have one uh, on my mm. on my and but then what happened? And this is this is where it sort of I got that taste for gambling. And um, when I was as uh, doing work experience, and and I end up becoming the the runner, and this is for all the lads in the in the bar, I would take all the bets to the TAV, so they'd give me the money and and the dockets, and I'd run up to TAV, and I'd uh, be put in place in these bets for all the boys, and then I'd run back. So that was my job. Just because um, you were the youngest, that they asked you to do that. Yeah, well, just yeah, I just become that become my job. So, and I, I'd love this this sort of this gambling type things is, you know, the highs and the lows. Um, this, yeah, this highs and lows of, of gambling. And, it, and I got that taste for it. And, um, and I was allowed to put my own, I put my own bets on and um, I'd always lose money. Cause these, these, these were those old, 
Aussies, you know, at the, at the bar that would, yeah, just be there all day and gambling, you know, mm. and got a taste for it. And um, that that place, he's the owners. He's he had a bad gambling addiction uh, on the horses, and it actually folded up. And when it went into work one day, and I uh, was told, um, yeah, we um, uh, there's no work. We got no, we got no work. It's um. So yeah. you had no. So you were living there at the time. So this was your your place yes. of residence and place of yes. work, and you came yes. downstairs place... and was like, "Yes, yes." I'm so uh, downstairs in my head. Yes, yeah, yeah, this year, yeah, and um, yeah, it's uh, I told you no know, work, so that was sort of folded up, and then and then this is sort of getting close to um, um, eighteen by this stage, and I think I, um, I was yeah, it's getting close to eighteen. I've kind of been there for both places for sort of 18 months each and um, end up getting, um, um, yeah, getting, a, getting my license. I think it was two days after my – no, the day after my 18th birthday, I got my license, bought a car, um, a, a Mitsubishi Colt when I was 17, so I had the car yep. ready. Yep. And, um, yeah, and then off I sailed. I ended up getting a job in uh, uh, Turak and I'd, I'd bumped into an old mate, so my old – an old friend uh, back in back in school, uh, Troy Nichols, bumped into him, and he was a chef. And I was going for this, I was going for jobs, looking looking around for jobs, and ended up landing this job, uh, um, Cafe Paradiso. It was just opposite Track Centre, and um, yeah, ended up moving in with him uh, when I was eighteen, and um, yeah, and that's when uh, yeah, I was working and and parties and yeah yeah working hard and all that sort of stuff so that all that anthony bourdain type 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 things um yeah so you were living in turak at the time yeah so, no, living so we lived in um in hawthorne yeah so yeah so we both me and my mate had uh, had cars and yeah so i started started working there and i was there we're there for a while that was a good little place he was the second chef troy I was like the commie chef, yeah. And then there was the the head chef was actually Paul Vo. He was a Vietnamese immigrant, and um, and he was brilliant. He was a really really good bloke. I'd love to catch up with him now. Um, yeah, really really good guy. Smart. He was a come over on the boats, and um, and built himself up. Like worked hard, was good with money, and and I'll never forget he bought an apartment in Turak, and um, good it on was. Him. Yeah, good on him. Oh, he's really good dude. Really, really good dude. For those that are listening overseas or don't know Melbourne, Turak's probably the uh, suburb that is the most expensive in Melbourne. Yeah, exactly. It's a good way it, to sum it up. <laughs> yeah, it, it's like the, yeah, it's, I don't know, it, it's, yeah, the most expensive, isn't it? Like yeah. Per, yeah, most expensive po- postcode. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, yeah, so then, uh, then the whole, um, yeah, sort of, you know, the parties and, and everything, sort of, um, yeah, working hard, drinking, all that sort of jazz, yeah. Mm. Living your teenage years, your early 20s. That's right, living the teenage years, exactly, yeah. That was, um, yeah, I sort of, it's, to be honest, it's sort of a bit of a blur, um, a bit of a blur as far as, I, certain things I can't remember because it was, you know, there was obviously there was you no know, drinking, there was drugs at the time. Um, 
yeah, I just was, I never, I forget, never forget. I never, I didn't, I didn't really talk to my parents that much and they never, yeah, sort of, um, sort of rang me or called me or anything. And, um, yeah, I just sort of never talked to them much because I was always, if I, if I was, wasn't working, I was at a party. I was at a nightclub. We used to go to, in, in, the, in all the clubs. So I was all in that sort of alternative music, you know, the, um, the Metro, uh, Chasers and all that sort of jazz. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Have you reflected on the fact that you never spoke to them during that time with your parents? Oh, not not really. Like I was always loved as a child, but that they sort of I was always allowed to do my own thing. You know, I was allowed to I was never there's the discipline, you know, I was I was never forget I was seventeen and I was I um my parents lived on a bit of acreage and I, I was I grow I was growing to marijuana. And my mum goes to me what's that plant? And she knew very well what it was. And what are they? And I said, um, the tomatoes. Tomatoes. The tomatoes, yeah. <laughs> tomatoes. I knew that that was coming. Tomatoes. tomatoes. And mum goes, bullshit. How come there's never any red fruit on the bed? That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it's funny. It's, uh, and she goes, um, no, that's that's marijuana. And I said, yeah. And so I was, I was, allowed, I was allowed to grow it. Like, my parents are pretty straight and narrow. My, the old man was a firefighter in the MFB and mum always worked as a dressmaker. So, um, but I was allowed to do, you know, within reason, you know what I mean? I was sort of allowed to do things. Like I was sort of, so that was allowed to do all that. And, um, yeah. But the yeah. interesting thing about that is that, I mean, I don't have children, so it's hard for me to, I, I see it from a distance in regards to kids these days compared to, you know, obviously growing up um, in similar decades to, to you, I'm a bit younger than you, but it enabled you to find your boundaries and enabled you to, I don't know, develop you your sense of self outside of that family unit. And I think that that's quite important when you go into adult years and people that are leaving, I mean, I was for six months after year 12 and I was like, I'm out of here. So I was out at 18 mm. in an apartment. and. I I see people moving out of home in their thirties now, and I'm like, why? Yes. Why? Mm. Mm. Yes, yeah, it's, it's like it's yeah, that's so true, isn't it? You see them, you know, staying with their parents and so forth, and you know, I, I get it. I get it if it's uh, they're saving money, so they've got a goal to actually, you know, what we need to save a hundred grand in the next five years to actually buy a house, put a mortgage on a house. Yeah, I think it's great, but yeah, a lot of it's not like that era of of leaving early because yeah, I just wanted to leave home. I wanted to leave the nest. Yeah. I just wanted to explore. I wanted experiences. You know what I mean? I um, wanted to, yeah, meet people and do things and, and experience life and, and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. So how long did you work with Paul Vogue for? Uh, Paul, uh, so Paul, Paul Vogue. So I worked, worked with him for over a year. Um, and it was one of those things where there was a, um, uh, you know, I'd always get poached. I never, from from early on, I'd, I'd get poached from for other places because I was a good worker. You know, I was a good chef. You know, mm. I, it's I was a great compliment. Really, yeah, it was. So I never, I never used to. I never forget. I'd look for, I'd look in the papers and look at jobs, and but I never have to find a job. And I always like moving around every year because I felt as though if I didn't, if I wasn't learning, I'm not growing as a as an individual, but more primarily as a chef. I wanted to I wanted to grow and learn. So so every year so the, the uh Paul Gibson, 
uh, another another guy. He got a was in um, was working in Brighton. He said, "Come on down, Benny. We we need you down here." And so I left um, left there and got a job down there. And um, yeah, and that was that was good. That was that was the Half Moon Cafe. And um, yeah, it was a really good good place. And that was working working there. And I think that's there. I'll never forget. We all went out. And the place where we went out, I was that was that would have been eighteen, probably nineteen. Yeah, it would have been nineteen. Um, we all uh, we all went out, and uh, we went to the casino, and um, and that's when I think everything, my life took a bit of a bit of an interesting turn because I loved it. I went to the casino, and the lights, the action, oh, I fell in love with it. I fell in love with it, and and yeah, and all of a sudden, I never forget. We I went went there with with a whole heap of crew. It was a bunch of us, and it was about half a dozen of us, and we all went there. And I never forget. I went back the next day by myself, and then the next day, and the next day, and end up yeah, becoming really badly addicted to um, to gambling. Yeah, wow. so, so yeah, so much in the fact that this gambling addiction was. Uh, I learnt on a Thursday morning at five minutes past three in the morning, my pay would go in. So I could go to the ATM machine at the casino and if it was like three minutes past three in the morning, my pay wouldn't have gone in. Uh, at the time was about about just shy of $500, I think $490, I think if I remember right. Um, and then I'd wait a couple of minutes later, put my card in, my pay would go in. So what I'd do is I'd pull it all out of the casino. I would walk back to my car. I'd put $20 in my car because that was that was petrol. And then I'd go in the casino and I'd win or I'll lose. And there's times where I won good amounts of money and but most of the time, like casinos do, you lose. And, well, what about uh, food and and rent and Yes. Okay. So with so with the food, I was lucky working as a chef. Um, I didn't have to worry. I, I had food, so that was covered. You could eat, could eat. So there's no, that, that was fine. Even on days off, like I could, you know, just pop in and say, "Oh, just checking the roster," and you go, you know, because I love working and I was there, and you just grab a bite to eat. So that was that was easy. Um, now, as far as rent, I ended up moving into a place which is now been closed for years. It's on the corner of Commercial Road and Punt Road, and it's the old nurses' quarters for the Alfred Hospital. And uh, end up moving into there and uh, with a friend of mine, um, really good mate that I sort of see every now and then, uh, Davin. Moved into there and um, they needed a cleaner because it was, how many rooms were there at the time? It was about 80 rooms, I think. Um, they needed a cleaner. So I was cleaning twice a week and I was getting free rent. So You had your bases covered to be able to a, just spend to, to money do it. Yeah. yeah, that's Yeah, so I had, had bases covered. So... Um, and then there was a, there was a time, um, shortly, uh, where I was, I was end up living, this is actually just before moving into this place. I should mention there was a, a period, it was about three and a half months. I was living in the backseat of my car. Um, and I'd go to South Yarra. So work was in South Yarra at the time. Uh, and, um, I moved, as I said, I was always moving around the places and, um, I was there yeah, three and a half months. I was in the backseat of my car at a uh, Commodore. Um, and uh, the number plates actually used to say <laughs> the personalized. I got personalized number plates that used to say buds, B 
B-U-D-S. Oh, oh no, yeah. It was the stup- most stupidest thing ever. That's a magnet for the police. Ah, uh, oh, big time. Oh, it was always, yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So I had musical air horns oh in that car. God. Oh, yeah. I was that. Yeah, I was that person. Um, uh, and so I ended up, um, this bad gambling addiction. I lost my car. I had to get rid of it because I couldn't afford the insurance. And then on public transport, and yeah, and I was living it. Uh, end up that's when I moved to this this boarding place, um, and um, getting cleaning, and so I got free rent. So, so yeah. How, how did you go? How did you go from? Like, what was the transition from being in a in I'm assuming an apartment, and then ending up being homeless and having to live in your car? Oh, it was just a, the with a friend moving out. So he he left he left because he was moving up to Queensland. Right. Um, yeah, Troy was, and then I ended up sort of leaving and it was all of a sudden like, where do I go? And it was kind of like, ah, you know, I'm a country kid. I can sleep in the backseat of my car. Why didn't and, you go home? Well, my parents lived, you know, out, out in the Yarra Valley and I could have, you know, there was that option of doing that. But because of the work I was doing, um, because of the work, I was actually, it was easy enough just to, for me to, it was five minutes from, from there was like a derelict building. And I had this old garage. So I'd park my car in this garage, uh, this carport, I should say, and I'd sleep in the back seat. I'll never forget mates would, you know, they'd, you know, get on the terps and drink and play jokes on me and scare me in the middle of the night, you know, and because um, my car stood out. Yeah. It's lovely, yeah. mates. I know, oh, yeah, oh, it's, yeah. Because, <laughs> Thanks, boys. And, yeah, and it's interesting. <laughs> it's interesting in that, you know, these little things you just – you don't realize until you've sort of been in it. But there was a problem in sleeping in the in your car is you can't sleep in your car with the windows up because of the, because what happens is your body's breathing out, you know, you've got condensation. Yeah. So, yeah, so you actually have to have the windows down a little bit because if you have the windows up, you'd actually wake up and it'll be all wet on the inside of the windows of the car. So, um, so you're yeah. freezing. So yeah, so it was cold. Yeah, so it was cold. So I had a doona and stuff, and it was yeah, it's all life experiences. And my parents were like, they knew, they knew, and I was like, well, he'll, he will get out of it. And yeah, and then this gambling thing was sort of the more I earned, the more I, the more I could spend. So I end up um, working. Hang on a minute. Through- Hang on a minute. Yeah. Let's get back yeah. to the car. Where yeah. were you showering? Oh, okay. So at the hotel. So so at, at um so the hotel Como in South Yarra okay, is where yeah. I was working. So I was eating there. They had staff staff toilets. So all the staff facilities were there. So I could finish work or start work and have a shower. So uh, at at work. Right. So yeah. So it was really good in that aspect. So um so yeah, food showering. It was easy. It was an easy because there was a lot of staff there. I think it was. Yeah. 60, 80 staff at the time. So they had the yeah. facilities there. So that was, that was fine. Um, um, yeah. Mm. Okay. So three, so how long were you in the back of the sleeping in the car for? Yeah, it was, it was about, it was just over three months and, okay. uh, and, it, and it worked. It's kind of just to somewhere to sleep. Sometimes that's all you, all you needed. Like I was working lots and, and I uh, ended up working, getting another full-time job. So I was working, moved once again, moved around and, I got it. I was working at um, uh, at the time it was Jollymont Hotel and Suites, just near the MCG. Mm. Um, yeah. So you'd moved out of the um, the place where you were cleaning. No, no. So that this was. Sorry, I should mention. Sorry, this was before then. So I went from I went from actually living in the car to moving in. Sorry, it's backwards and forwards. But going from living in my car, then I moved. The transition was into this um, into this place, which was yeah, this boarding 
boarding room type situation. Yeah, it was old nurses' quarters. Yeah, old nurses' quarters. So yeah, so I ended up going from my car into this boarding house type type situation, and then. Um, and as I said, I was working and I had, I had two full-time jobs. So one job was working at uh, Anne's Bakery in Surrey Hills. So I would start uh, at 12 o'clock uh, at night time in the morning, uh, work eight hours to eight o'clock. I would then drive into, um, into in East Melbourne and uh, at nine o'clock uh, and then start my next, uh, <laughs> next eight hours. How are you... Were you taking substances to keep yourself no, away? No, no, I wasn't. No, I wasn't. I, I coffee. I drink lots of coffee, but no, I wasn't on any sort of. Um, I, you know, I was no, no. I, you know, I tried all that was party drugs, but no, mm. I wasn't. I wasn't. My addiction was gambling, working heaps, and then I found I tried to work. I never forget my my mental processing. I tried work. If I worked that much, I'd be too tired to go to the casino. <laughs> was sort of another crazy mentality that I'll have all this money, but I'll be too tired to go. But then I'd still find it. I'd love it. I'd love it. When you start, you know, things are getting crazy when you start getting to know the croupy ass. Mm. Yeah, it was kind of, and you start to know these people who would, you know, it was like these same people, these same problems. And you'd get there, it could be two, three in the morning. And you know, that's these people are there. And, and blackjack was a game that I always played. So did you have lucky ones? I can't go with that, with that dealer because... He's not as lucky as that one. Oh, sometimes it was all uh, no, not necessarily. No, that was that's a very more of an Asian culture type thing. Okay. Um, yeah. So the Asian culture. Yeah, that was yeah crazy, crazy times. And so you've crazy. you've really shaped your whole life and lifestyle around gambling, being able yes. to gamble. Yeah, being able to gamble. Yes, yeah, and um, I end up. Um, I had a couple of girlfriends along the way, but nothing serious. It was kind of I, I didn't I didn't want at this when I was young, I didn't want a girlfriend because I just really for the sheer fact is that they they were I know they'd they'd hold me back. That they'd stop me. It'd be like a parent stopping me to do what I wanted to do. But it was I think it was the age of about um twenty two. That's when I met um I met Kelly. And um, yeah, and then Kelly was Kelly was good. We got along really well. It was easy. It was an easy relationship. We enjoyed. I ended up moving in with her uh, in Port Melbourne. Her and her friend uh, moved in there, and um, I moved around a bit. Also, where I was living out in Aspendale and so forth, and ended up moving in there with Kelly. Yeah, and then we sort of wasn't that long out later. I think it was about. She said, "Let's save some money," and it was a pretty quick sort of you know we sort of sort of dove into this relationship and said, let's go up to Queensland. So we saved up um, three grand and uh, it was only four months later. We, um, yeah, we, we drove up to Queensland and lived up in, I was a chef up in Noosa uh, for four years. Did she know about your gambling addiction? Yeah, she did. Yeah, no, she did. But then I sort of, because I, I sort of started to mature because I, she sort of didn't keep me in line, but, she like she wouldn't say no. Don't you dare go to the casino. But then I sort of realised, hang on, you know, I'm making all this money and I'm losing all this money. You know, there's mm. got to be a better. And and that's when this idea of actually let's save money to go somewhere else. And I thought, you know what, this is going to be a cool break. Um, and um, yeah, let's leave. Let's leave Melbourne. And and that's what I needed at the time. Fresh you know, start. Fresh start. Twenty two, twenty three. So you went from literally just trying going to the casino for the first time and then full on really full on gambling addiction to fresh start 
I'm not yeah. a gambling addict anymore. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, realizing, that's, realizing. That's yeah, an, that's. Yes. Look, I'm not an expert on gambling, but that I would imagine that's quite unusual. Yes. Yeah. I think it was. Now, partly, as I said, was this relationship with Kelly. I think, as I said, she wasn't controlling because she knew I knew I did. And but it was, it was. I think it was growth. I decided, you know what, me, no, I can now go into a casino and walk in now. And because I, I still love blackjack, the actual game is is a fantastic game. I just love it. But I can go in there with two hundred bucks and go. If I lose that, I walk away. Where back then it was like, how do I get more money? Yeah, you know I mean, let's get more money. Like, where? Okay, let's do. I can spread it out. I'm going to take hundred dollars today. If I lose that, I'll come back tomorrow with another hundred dollars. Another hundred dollars. Yeah. I would have. I would have thought that you wouldn't have wanted to tempt fate. I'm just going to leave that alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's it's sort of. Um, I know. I think for me, the biggest thing as well was the environment. As well, it was sort of not about the money because when you look at casinos, the chips. You sort of lose that value of actually money as mm. well. It was an environment. I think that they're fully designed to encourage spend more time in there. I mean, they don't have clocks in there. They don't, you know, yes. like it, there's, there's no, no windows. Stuff. Yeah, there's they're completely designed to keep people in there and encourage them to spend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's right. Exactly. Yeah, it's it, to, to do that. But for, I think for me, it's that, that environment is, I think growing up as an only child as well, you know, I love being around people. You mm-hmm. know, and I just loved people. I loved being somewhere where there's people. I just always loved it. I need people around me. And, um, yeah, I think that was casino sort of was part of that, um, part of that. So, yeah, yeah. yeah it was tough. It was tough. Mm. So you're up in Queensland? With Kelly, yeah, so, yeah, it's up in up in Queensland, and um, yeah, that was um, that was sort of uh, that was good, you know. Sort of worked in Noosa and landed. We went up there and couldn't find a job because it was we got up there in February. It was really hot where school holidays had finished, and and Noosa, the sunny coast, sunshine coast of Queensland, Australia, is very um, is very touristy. Mm. So yeah, so I applied for every job. Um, along uh, Hastings Street, and I ended up getting a job. But it was this is the only time I ever got sacked from work, and um, I was there for two months and um, of this place, and they sacked me. And and I was like, no, I'd never been sacked in my life, and it was because I'd always a hard worker. I'd always everything I did was always a hundred percent, hundred percent sacked me. But I found I found out I was a means to an end because they'd organised another chef coming from interstate. Oh. And I was, I was for that transition, yeah. You were the yeah. gap filler. I think the gap filler, yeah. So that's sort of, that's sort of, yeah. I lost a bit of pride with that one, but it's kind of. I realised later on the time, like to be told, no, nah, Ben, you, we don't want you anymore. And I was like, whoa, hang on. So, but yeah, but then I ended up landing a, a good job, uh, and um, yeah, got yeah, I was, I was in the newspapers and and all that. So that was really cool. Really, really cool. So, how did you transition from bees? So, from chefing to bees. So, so yeah, so that so chefing. There's another little job I had for actually quite some time, and believe it or not, is um, I was actually working. So, I was a chef. Uh, so, I come back to Melbourne four years later. Uh, we got married up there um, and had first child. Um, and Summer, who uh, was born eleven years ago in November. Mm-hmm. And um, she, uh, it's actually funny talk about numbers. 
you know, I, I, I sometimes struggle to remember my children's birth dates. So it's kind of, I've got them written down. So if people ask me, I've actually got to look at it if it's which date it is. So it's kind of funny. It's just numbers. I don't know. Numbers always struggle with numbers. But um, so, um, yeah, had had summer and um, and Kelly didn't want to have children. You know, we, we got married up there. It was only five people at the wedding. It was um, the wedding up in Mullaney in the Sunshine Coast was the celebrant, um, the photographer, and you need two witnesses. So we got the photographer's neighbour <laughs> um, just because of parents. It was just easy enough to do that. But then we, we saved up 20 grand and we, we went overseas. So we travelled through yeah, Morocco and, and Europe and so forth. So that was really cool. But um, rather than spending money on the wedding, we spent it on the honeymoon. Um, but Kelly didn't want children for years, years, didn't want children. So I got married young, 26, got married. And she was three and a half years older than me. Uh, she wants children, so we end up. She end up. We convinced. I said, "Well, if I have children, I want a, I want a child." You know, just sort of real. And she end up, um, end up, yeah, falling pregnant. And we had summer. And this I was as a chef, and once again, you know, I was working, moving around lots, and I was working at um, Yering Station, so that's out in the Yarra Valley. And I'll never forget. It was one week I was really disappointed in myself because I worked ninety eight hours in one week. 98 hours. You wanted to get the 100, didn't you? I wanted to get 100. And I, in my whole, <laughs> my, I know, crazy. My whole chef's career, I could never really break 100 hours in a week. Uh, what, why would you want to, though? I was a challenge. I was, I was always challenged. You know, I wanted to, to, to do a challenge for Philip. But in my whole, my whole working life, I've never managed to break 100 working hours in a week. Yeah. Just over 14 hours a day. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it would be. Yeah, work maths, or, yeah. Um, I I, so, I got the calculator yeah. out. Don't worry. Yes, I was, I was thinking that same thing. That's funny. That's funny. I didn't um, do that in my head, Ben. Don't. Yeah, I was, I was thinking that's your mathematician. That's awesome, yeah. I had to um, own up to that one. That's funny. Um, so yeah, so um, had summer and I was working lots and you know I started chasing the money as opposed to prestigious places because I always worked at high end good food, you know. Yeah, you worked food. at some really great ones in Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, really good ones. Yeah. Really really good places. Good food where I could create do my own creativity, create dishes, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And really good places. But I end up chasing money. And when you chase money, what happens is I end up working an RSL. Oh, um, no. Yeah, which is which was not but it was great money. Six weeks on your leave. You know, you know, turning over seventy grand a year. You know, and, you know, so it was really good. Plus, you know, overtime and all that jazz. So, did you chase money because you had summer? Yes, so your yeah, the family. Changed? Yes, correct, exactly. Right, correct. So, and I was sure. I think summer sort of hit about six, twelve months of age, if I remember right. End up, I was always in animals. So always, you know, bees on and off throughout the time as a hobby. Well, you can't really cart bees from Melbourne no. to Queensland and back again. No, Melbourne, that's right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. That's right. I was right in the fish, right? Right into, um, you know, exotic fish and animals. You know, I was always in the bugs, snakes, lizards, everything. Anyway, I used to buy my supplies from a place in uh, called Maisie Amazon in Glen Waverley. I was in there all the time because I, I was, you know, I was breeding fish and so forth. And they ended up saying to me, do you want a job here, Ben? I was like, yeah, this would be cool. And, and the money, I think I was going to get 600 clear per week. Which was, you know, I was taking a pay cut, but you know what? I was working ten till six, you know, five days a week. Yeah. 
perfect so this pet shop so i go there and in the first couple of days i was there i was thinking holy shit what have i done i've gone from being a fantastic chef working you know working good places and i kind of started earning it was good money working at the rsl i'm cleaning bloody fish tanks and i was a week into it i thought i can't do this and i'll never forget kelly said no nah, give it give it some more time i end up staying there and becoming the manager there for i was there for almost like 10 years really yeah this pet shop at the time there was this law right there's this funny law and this funny law was then um that turtles so when you're selling turtles you used to have to be a shell a shell size or a carapace which is a shell of 10 centimeters or bigger this is in victoria and at the time i had also lots of snakes and fish and i had marsupials and all these things uh, and uh, but this shop, we used to sell these turtles illegally because we used to you know, get buy them from South Australia. So the other states, you're allowed to sell baby turtles, right? And I'd, I'd me me, I'd often be the runner. So I'd run over South Australia, I'd drive over there, and buy these turtles, bring them back. Now, if you were to come into this shop and say, "I want to buy a turtle," you'd suss them out, making sure they're not a you know not no one's suss. So come out the back. And you say you want to buy one of these baby turtles. Oh my so, God, it's like a full drug operation or oh, something. Oh, <laughs> well, it was. And I guess it was actually really interesting because what happened is, you know, word got out that we're doing this, right? So they're, they're, then they've become this um, this operation. Now, I was into right into me reptiles and so forth. And this, this operation comes, it was called Operation Mystic. Right now, this Operation Mystic. Did you name it? No, no, this is no, this operation was a was the Department of Sustainability and Environment. So oh, this is so you were under like, investigation. Yes. <gasps> yes. Now what I'd where where I'd I'd stuffed up right as well. And and it was a full on operation that they had on us. And I'd stuffed up because I was I bought this gecko from Queensland from, from a, a very well renowned vet. And yeah. in order to in order to get something from interstate, you have to get a import permit. All right, so just paperwork, you just do, doesn't cost anything in Victoria to say I'm importing a gecko. And this was a a, um, a marbled velvet gecko. All right, so it was worth, at the time, $300. It was a male because I need a male to match my females. Mm-hmm. All right, so it was because I was breeding. So I guess, and I've got, I was working a couple of days as a chef and I was working at the shop. And anyway, I've got to do my permit. So I was like, oh shit, forgot to do it. A couple of weeks later, I'd done it. But because I'd done it, I'd actually had to backdate it because I already got this permit. So, and anyway, never forget, Wednesday morning, this would have been, oh, I'd have guessed 2005, 2006 maybe. Wednesday morning at five past seven in the morning, knock, knock, knock on the door. All of a sudden, here's a warrant. We've got a warrant to search your house. Now, most of the staff got raided simultaneously at the same time, most yeah. of the staff. Um, there was That's over understandable 100- why they'd do that, though. Yes, yeah, of course. Oh, yeah, of course. So we don't communicate with that. And so um, so they went through me. Um, I had to get all of me animals and counting things. I had exotic fish, and they didn't know them, so I had to call fisheries department. We were talking. The cops there were a force response unit cops, so they weren't. There was a big operation. They thought they were onto something really massive, really big. <laughs> They must have been um, so disappointed. Oh, they were, yeah. <laughs> it's one gecko. One, that's right. They, and they, funny enough, they pulled my house apart. And I used to hide my cash in in the in books. 
because you yeah. know make you know, buy something cash out and a books and I don't never forget Kelly was like never she's yelling at me like you know what the hell are you done Ben what are you doing she's thinking I'm guilty and so I'm like I haven't done anything and I was I was smoking cigarettes at the time. I'm chain smoking cigarettes and, you know, the cops had to be with me all the time. I'd go They're for a They're finding all this money in the books. They're like, oh, this is even, I you know, oh, well, I think, I don't, well, we're talking, I think I had $400 in cash, but they pulled every book apart. They went through every part of that, pulled the house apart. They didn't put it back together though, did they? No, of course not, no. And that, that was sort of annoyed because once again, I, I, I wasn't doing anything dodgy, you know what I mean? It's, there's different grades of dodgy, but I wasn't, you know, smuggling animals or anything like this. You well, know? you were and you were selling under undersized. Turtles. Turtles. We were, yeah, we were, we were, and that was the illegal thing. And it's funny enough, I think it was eighteen months later, the the laws changed and you could sell all these baby turtles. So, um, and never forget that was on it was on TV. It was on every that that day because they had a full press conference for it. I was full on. It was every single <laughs> channel on TV. This dodgy shop. Now, t- now typical me- typical media. That's funny, Fiona, because typical media, they they put exotic animals in it. So all of a sudden, all of a sudden, like, we got all known for this being, like, smugglers and all this stuff. But I never forget when I was... Bloody lions oh, and crocodiles. Oh, and- it was crazy. But but it was but the funniest thing is the day after, because we had to close the shop, right? And I'll never forget, I got back into the shop at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And as I said, everything was um, yeah. I was talking to the other stu- the other guys, talking to Peter and Paul and about what had happened and everything. And we're all just like frazzled and uh, it was, it was crazy. Probably, they probably bugged your phones as well. Oh, they were. Wow, Kelly says. Well, I saw some people, you know, cars like government cars around the corner. Like it was like, a, and I got taken down to the police station. And I realised later on because I wasn't. Because I, I, I just I got I had to go to court for falsifying documents. So, um, so they got you on that. They got you on the technicality. Yeah, technicalities are falsifying documents. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that was that was crazy experience. Crazy, and uh, it was on every single yeah, was every single channel on TV. So, but the next day we're all back at the shop, and the, the next day it was the it took the most amount of money. The next day, the shop ever up until that point in history, <laughs> because, because everyone was coming in. Everyone wanted to know. Everyone wanted to know what was going on. What happened? Oh my god, that's the best. That's like, oh god, the fact that you did the biggest trade ever—that is just that's so funny. Yeah, I know. It was, it was, yeah. So, so we got caught on, you know, it was clerical errors and bookwork and stuff, and um, yeah, it was, it was a funny times. So, you know, Operation Mystic. I think if you Google it, you know, you might have to dig dig a bit deep, but you can find it there. And oh, it was yeah on TV and you know, man from. You know Blackburn and Roeville and Caram Downs and here you know it's I was a full on but they thought they were onto something you know and they really thought they were bigger they were on this big operation they but we weren't we we're just you know just doing little little dodgies you know selling these baby turtles yeah yeah nice. so it was uh funny funny times that I never yeah and Kelly's Kelly's that was right Kelly's friend was down from Queensland because we lived in Queensland and come back uh, Caroline and she was and and Kelly's like. Going, yelling at me because they all got you know, investigated thinking they're guilty and Kelly doesn't she she was never interested in what I did yeah so that's why I could do whatever I wanted do you know what I mean I could so I had all these animals and I had I always had freshwater stingrays and and all these exotic reptiles and snakes when I say exotic Australian stuff you know yeah. so it was all yeah 
uh, but stuff. You know, Exotic and, to someone that's in the urban environment. That's, that's, that's right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, those funny times. Yeah. So how did you go from pet shop to yeah, so, reptile shop to bees? Yeah, to bees. Yeah, so I'd always had bees. So, um, so I had bees at the time. Um, and, yeah, so I had bees. And it was a hobby. Just loved having you know, a couple of hives. And then it sort of started to take off because I sort of – I think shortly after then, I sort of got more out of the reptiles and the fish because once again, you know, it was a lot of work, you know, looking after animals, you know, because I was challenged. And I'm talking, I was breeding animals that no one was breeding at the time. And so I had zoos coming to me saying, Ben, we want to, and I was selling, selling these animals at zoos across Australia wanted, you know, some of these rare, rare snakes. There's a lot of money in reptiles. Oh yeah, at the t- at the time, it, it's all the markets like many things have sort of collapsed now. But yeah, at the time, it wouldn't. Really, you know, you I walked into um, a local. Um, it's actually a local reptile store, but they've got fish there, and I needed to get some weed for my fish, um, as in like for the aquarium, not marijuana people. Yeah, it's- um, <laughs> <laughs> tomato plants in the in the fish tank, um, and. They had snakes and, and blueies in there and stuff, and they were super expensive. I mean, they were beautiful, but they were super expensive. Yeah, it's interesting because, yeah, I think there is that sort of, particularly now, it's sort of, you know, these what we call morphs. So, you know, al- albinos and various sort of yeah. colours. There's sort of leucistics and all these different um, melanistics, different colours. Yeah, sort of, that's where it's sort of gone now. Um, and, and in that sort of 90s and 2000s, there was, uh, animals were worth massive amounts of money, massive amounts. Like it was, uh, I, I wouldn't be short to sell a, a python or a snake, um, you know, for four or five thousand dollars for a baby. Yeah, that's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Mm, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so it's kind of these, these weren't that expensive. They were like three hundred dollars or something, but it's yeah, which is still a lot. Yeah, yeah. It's still a lot as a, as a pet. It's still a lot. So, but yeah, but um, but people look after their animals. You know, when you spend money on like that, and that's what I I love the challenge. I was always a breeding rare thing. So I, I, I said I bred one of the first people in Victoria to breed freshwater stingrays uh, from the Amazon. They're an Amazonian stingray. So, but because you know, you, you my challenge was you give something in the correct environment, an animal that it'll want to breed because yeah. a lot of these animals you have to put them for a, a cycling period and oh we're talking i was breeding catfish from from um once again from south america mm. and I, I, that, to me, to, that to me sounds like it's a high risk for the our um ecosystem though in australia oh yeah no yeah true no good good point no but no a lot of these things won't survive they, they wouldn't okay. survive in our in our environment and, and um and you know there's a certain catfish that was breeding um that were a thousand twelve hundred dollars each and and i'd wait for a storm so the drop in atmospheric pressure i'd be changing water to simulate like um the floods so then i I'd, i would then um get my flash of my camera to simulate lightning oh it was oh it was crazy i was doing wow. all these things you were, but, yeah I, you were fu- yeah i was gonna say, this is a very colloquial um expression but you were fully immersed in this situation oh yes oh yes yeah i think everything i did was even to this day with bees i'm i'm fully immersed into it immersed and really just it's almost an obsession i can honestly say anything i did you know breeding reptiles or breeding fish or gambling food you You went to the extreme extremes yeah i just wanted to be the best and do do the best 
and be the best. Um, do you think that's because you – do you think overall you've got an addictive personality? Oh, 100%. Oh, yeah, yeah of course. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 I'm either all in or nothing. Simple yeah. as that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how did you go from I'm just going to have a couple of bees and I'm simulating lightning for freshwater stingrays to yes. I'm going to create a business and be yes. one of the foremost experts in Australia on bees? Yeah, so as I said, so I've always had bees. And anyway, so I had bees in my backyard and all of a sudden they started growing and I started doing photos and, and put them online um, and then started getting sort of a bit of attention to these, these bees. Oh, this is bizarre. You know, Ben's in the bees. And I love things where they sting and they bloody hurt. So I started. So I love. They do, don't they? They do. <laughs> and um, and uh, so I loved, yeah, sort of the. The bees, and it sort of started to become, um, you know, one hive turns into two, turns into four, turns into eight, and then all of a sudden, you know, I was sort of selling, you know, reptiles and getting out of them, um, and uh, I went overseas, got separated, divorced, went overseas for a couple of months and was travelling around, and then come back and was like, want to do something fresh, you know, what I mean? and um, as a, I was still working at the pet shop at this stage, and then started with me bees. And uh, so I started and I turned into a business and it was sort of really went hand in hand because because I could work at the pet shop and I was managing it at this stage uh, and I could work at the pet shop and then I could also have me bee business. So I could do both. So because um, I was always, you know, worked and hard worker. So I started and I was building up my bee business and then it was really take. It was really taken off, and there were so many components to doing bees. You know, people automatically assume honey. Well, you know, I do honey, and I was selling honey at the pet shop, and and um, you know, people would, I would do it such a well in a way. I was selling bees, so I'd be creating these nucleus hives of bees, mm. and people would come to the pet shop to pick them up, and so it went. So I'd do it beforehand, you know. So I'd say, okay, you know, the shop. I'd open up the shop, and the shop doors would open up at ten o'clock in the morning. Um, but I said, come in a bit earlier, nine thirty. Come around the back, so people were picking up these bees. So, so, and then, and then, all of a sudden, I'm removing bees, and I'm, and I'm, I charge people to remove bees because, you know, obviously on a biosecurity type level, mm. um, just for pest and disease management. So I'm then all of a sudden I'm flat out, and so I, I sort of, I'll be honest with you, I sort of, I did start to. I'll probably on the verge of taking advantage of the owner because the owner of the shop, he looked after me, you know, and he, I learned so many things work on a retail perspective and, and Paul, you know, the owner, you know, my gratitude for him, you know, me working at this shop is set me up with bees, you know, for the sheer fact is on a customer service point of view, um, on an online point of view, as far as how to get yourself online, get yourself found. I learned that from him. So my gratitude to Paul, Paul Stokes, he's, he really helped me and and allowed me to do it, allowed me to do it. So, But then it started to become, you know, I went from being a manager working five days a week and then I'm four days a week and, and I work with me mates. All my mates at the shop are great. So they'd self help support me. I'd say, you know, I get a call at, you know, it could be, you know, a Thursday at 2 o'clock, I've got bees and I get up on my phone, I've got a bee problem. Um, it's just, you know, it's only 20 minutes could be around the corner. Hang on, lads, I just got to duck out. So I'd go get these bees, get paid for collecting these bees, bring them back. And then I had all these bees at the shop. I had about 30, 40 hives. <laughs> and this, I know. And it's sort of, and then, and then the neighbours, 
started talking because I think I they got some nasty ones and they got stung and so I was moving them out and yeah so um so uh yeah so it started building up and end up um I'll never forget I saw this was uh this was three and a bit years ago so it's, not, it's relatively recently right so it's been a business since 2006 making money and just building up building up as a business and three and a half years ago the owner, I went down from working five days a week, four days a week, three days a week. And he, and he, and Paul rings me and goes, Ben, we've got to talk about the wages. And I'm like, this was, this was middle of September and I'm taking bees on the pollination and so forth. And I'll never forget. I was, um, I was in the city, um, working, uh, with bees. I was on my day off and he goes, Ben, we need to talk about the wages. I said, the wage bill's too high. And, um, I said, Paul, I said, I'm so, so busy. I said, I can't come back. I can't do it. I'm doing my bees. I got my van. And he said, well, I don't want you to go. I want, you know, we're going to look at, I said, Paul, you know, I've grown this. It's probably about time I, I left. Anyway, that was that phone call. He was okay about it. I wasn't happy because he's losing a good worker. Um, because I did work hard. I always put in the overtime and so forth, even though I'd sort of sneak out of work and go do this. You'd I'd make always, it up. I'd make it up. Exactly. I wasn't taking advantage really, but I was sort of, I was on, my foot was half out the door. And, and unfortunately, I'd been there for, say, 10 years, and I, I, never, I, um, I never went back. It was the day the phone call, I hanged up, and there was no need for me to go back to the shop. And it was kind of sad because, you know, my good friends and stuff that were at the shop, there was no closure for them. Mm. And, um, you didn't you know, go back couple, and just say goodbye? You know what? No, because I was – the bees businesses, it was booming, and I was working from – uh, you know, I was leaving work before the sun was up and coming home after the sun was down. So I actually never went back for, I never forget, I never back, went back for about six months. And and it was kind of went back to like, who are you? And it was sort of sad. It was my fault because I never, I left, I never gave those boys closure. Mm. Yeah. And, and, and to this day, I know they're upset with me. Um, I know there's one good mate. He doesn't talk to me anymore. Oh. I think because of that, because of I, I'd left. It's like I'd left him. It's like I'd, I abandoned. Yeah. I, yeah, because I was I was part of, you know, I, I had a good team. And, and being a chef, you're as only as good as your team. And I knew that working, working here. And I employed these these staff and as the, as the manager. And, and we were mates. We went into work. We had good fun. We yeah. had good fun and we – customers were happy because the staff were happy. And, um, yeah, and unfortunately, yeah, and there's one of them, one, one he doesn't talk to me anymore because I sort of like abandoned him and I understand it and it's kind of, kind of sad. And, and they're sort of now I think they've sort of – what's the word? Begrudging me a little bit because I've created the, the, the success of me doing bees but I've left them behind maybe in a way. Um, because they were with me with the bees, because they used to think it's funny. Because, oh, I I put this out on Gumtree. This is kind of so busy. I put this out on Gumtree for an employee. <laughs> so I had this this guy. People coming in doing trials. I'd get them working in the office making bee equipment while I was managing the shop. <laughs> so they'd walk in. They'd walk in to the office, right? And they'd go, Ben, who the hell's that? And I'd say, Oh, <laughs> so that's random. That's, that's someone ran us, Gary. And he'd be making making B frames or something, making something. And uh, I'd always have someone, oh, helping me. And I'll never forget. We had this this bloke. He was um, we call him. His name was Taesun, and he was from South Korea. 
and um, we called him Teddy, and he, he bugger all English. His English was almost void, but he was coming in. He was into insects and spiders and invertebrates back home in in South Korea. And Teddy, uh, I got him working. All of a sudden, he was hanging around a lot, so I got him working. And he goes from working at the shop, you know, from helping me with bee stuff. And then I, I realised, hang on, I could get him. You know, I could pay him money, my own money to be doing stuff for the shop because then I could duck out and do work, make more money, come <laughs> back, and he was doing the work. So and then, he ended up, then he was working at home and I was feeding him and looking after him and it was hard to communicate with him. But he, oh, I'd get him working some days and he would he was loving it because I was paying him cash money. Yeah. And it gave him – because he couldn't get any work anywhere and I, he was working at some South Korean restaurant and I was taking advantage of him, and but he loved it because I was looking after him. And uh, yeah, and to this day, we're still friends on uh, on Facebook. Oh, that's and, lovely. Uh, yeah, yeah, we've got he's got family and married and stuff. And um, yeah, Teddy, his name is because he's yeah, he was he was a great. He's actually a bit stressful for him because he went through because um, of the stress of not knowing anyone. Yeah, he, he's because his parents forced him to come out over here to oh. to, to study for, to study yeah. for twelve months. And so, um, yeah, he went through a bit of stress and he got alopecia. His hair started falling out. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and so it was really funny. He was sort of helping me and, yeah, and he, oh, he, was, he was great. He was really, yeah, it was funny, funny time. So I built up this little bee business on the, on the back of a bed shop, really. Yeah. <laughs> well, how can people follow you, Ben? Yeah, so as far as um, social media, so um, Instagram, which is Ben's Bees AU. Uh, on Facebook, it's just Ben's Bees. Um, follow me there. I've got a website, bensbees.com.au. Because um, I'm always doing content. I, I love helping people. You know, mm. and that's why I love. I, I love with bees. You know, the products they make, like wax and honey and propolis and everything else. I can do it. But the, the thing I love the most about bees is the connection with people. Yeah. You know, the, the connection between other people. And I've cre- I've travelled the world meeting beekeepers and staying with beekeepers and creating lifelong friends. And, and so that's why I love is the connection with bees. So, so people, you know, want to get into bees. It's a great rewarding hobby. So much to learn. I'm still learning each day, every day, but um, yeah, I absolutely love it. I was having a chat to one of my friends the other day and she was saying that um, like we were, we were sort of saying how fickle bees are because she had two hives that just sort of, you know, nicked off on her. <laughs> oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> like the whole hive. She's like, they just got annoyed at something and just left. <laughs> I just left, yes. Because <laughs> it came out and there was no bees in the hive. That's funny. That's, yeah. which, which does happen. You know, it does happen. It's, um, you know, they can swarm. And, and that's why I so much to learn about them because, you know, obviously on a pest and disease management point of view, we've got some nasty, shitty diseases which knock the bees around. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just, yeah, the, the bees, they're such a precious, precious little insect. They are. And yeah, um, you know, something that weighs one tenth of a gram can do so much for humankind. They are so, so important. Well, we'll have to get you back on and uh, you can discuss about the Manuka honey, um, dramas that are happening at the moment. (laughs) Yes, yeah, the whole manuka, <laughs> manuka madness. Manuka madness, yeah. that's a good word. Manuka madness, yes. Oh, it's crazy. Well, that's yeah, that's funny. That's yeah. Well, we can discuss it now, but I know that you've got to go out and 
and start your day. And wrangle, wrangle some bees. Wrangle some yeah. bees. <laughs> yes, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm lucky, I suppose, in saying that, that too. I'm lucky that I get to travel, you know, because, you know, with, with this COVID, you know, I, I, it's business as usual for me. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've been through every single checkpoint out of Melbourne, every single one. And and I'm off to the Yarra Valley to check on, on my bees today after we have a little chat and just make sure they're going good out there. And it's a bit cold to open them up, but I just I like just checking on them and make sure they're all everything's hunky dory. Um, so when you go out and check yeah. on them and it's cold, you're not opening, you're not cracking a hive. No, nah, no, nah, not cracking a hive. No, no, just like uh, make sure you know it's little things. I've got so many, I run hundreds of hives. Yeah, it can be as simple as. You know, grass growing in the front of a hive. Yeah, you know I mean that can that can be an issue. Yeah. So you know, and just like looking at it, is there a you know is bees have a natural attrition rate where they die, but you know is there abnormal amount? You know what I mean? Is so that can be a problem. So you know, just going out there looking at them um, is just making sure they're all all good. That they're happy, happy little they're bees. Happy, happy little bees. <laughs> Cheers, Ben. Lovely speaking with you, everyone. Please jump onto his social media. And if you are having bee issues at the moment as it's spring, give Ben a buzz. Thank ah, you. Did you see what Thanks I did there? Give a buzz. That was accidental. No, 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 I always tell people, no bee puns because they bug me. <laughs> well, mine was accidental. Yours was just a bad joke. <laughs> Cheers, Ben. Oh, Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks for taking a moment to listen, everyone. We hope this episode inspired you as much as it did us. If you know somebody who also needs a little inspiration, then please share this podcast with them. Also, don't forget to subscribe on your fave podcast app and rate and review us because that helps inspire us to keep making them. 